It's good to be together, and uh, we're going to continue uh, our series entitled A Heart for God. And today's uh, lesson, the subtitle is Thy Will Be Done. But before we jump into that, over here in our EDGE ministry, there was a special event that happened. Where's our Shelly? Where's she at? There she is. There she is. Our new sister in Christ was baptized on Friday. And her sister, Merch, is, is a part of the EDGE ministry. And so I want to show that clip there real quick. Okay. All right, she said she's good. Yeah. Yes. That is super exciting. And welcome, Arashelli, to the family. It's always great to see uh, souls being added to, to God's church. But it's also great to see souls coming back home. And uh, today we are definitely blessed with, where is she at? Carla Braithwaite is back at home. There she is. There she is. Her and Curtis moved out to the Chicago church, and uh, they've been out there uh, faithful with her family, and it's good to see you, sis. And uh, if that weren't enough, uh, we have a couple that's moved into the region. Where's Timothy and Talia, there you go, Lauren, they moved in to the region, really happy to have you guys here. Now, Talia's brother is, oh gosh, Andre Whitethorpe, I know, that was, I knew it was in there, but uh, that, that is her brother who's a part of the West Ministry, the, uh, the Northwest region. But again, we are very, very grateful to have you guys here and um, as we worship together. So again, a heart for God, right? That's what we've been talking about. And we've been looking intently at the character of David, who God says, Here's a man after my own heart. And I don't know about you, but as I read this story and I look at him, I'm like, man, David was pretty messed up. He did some sinister things. Down and dirty. Murder. Adultery. And he was a warrior. And he was a musician. He was a musician. <laughs> My God, musician, <laughs> musician, musician. Thank you. I got a little jumbled there. Hopefully, I wasn't having a stroke or something. I was like, "Whoa!" But think about it: musician, warrior, and everything in between. You know what? I hope you don't question God's love. Because I don't think you get any more jacked up than David. 
And yet, he was a man after God's own heart. So I hope that gives you and I hope. And that you're not hopeless. Because if God can work in that way with that man and all that he had going on, how about you and I? But the issue is, do we have a heart that's willing to do whatever God wants us to do? That's David's heart. You know, in our world, in our lives, we all have dreams and aspirations. When I was uh, in the 11th grade and Sarah and I were dating, I said, listen, when I go to college, I'm going to finish. We're going to get engaged in my junior year in college. And when I'm finished, we're going to get married and we're going to build a house in Hobbstown. We're going to have a white picket fence. We're going to have a minivan, two and a half kids, and a small dog. A house dog. I had all of that mapped out in my mind. And life was going on, and then boom, God intervened. And all that changed. See, because I was going to work on this on the stock exchange. I was going to be a stockbroker. I was going to be making that big money, doing the serious, risky business, jumping on a train right there, Raton Valley Line, New York. Had it all mapped out. And God intervened. You know, we can have plans sometimes but then they don't come true. And one of the most challenging things in life is dealing with disappointment. Having this vision, having this dream to then have reality come crashing down on us and now we are facing reality. The thing that I hope for is not gonna happen. The thing that I dreamed of and I worked hard, I invested, is not going to happen. In fact, it can't happen. Now, if you're a Christian, man, that's even more challenging. Because, see, we feel like God's promised us some things. He says, here's this promise, Lord. And we're like, well, I'm going to claim that. I'm claiming that promise. And then it doesn't happen. And you know what? We're like, Lord, you said, you said this. And then circumstances happen. Things get difficult. And now our faith is being affected. You know, one of the things I love about the Bible is in Romans 15, verse 4, the Bible says, for everything that was written in the past, i.e. the Old Testament, was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide might have, that we might have 
hope. You know, one of the reasons I love the Bible is because we can go back in time. We can go back to people who were actually following God, doing his will, and we can see what they were like, what they did, and we can learn from that. You know, if you're visiting and you don't read the Bible, please read it. It's unbelievable. Some of the stories, some of the things you're like, really? They were talking about that? They were doing that? Oh, yeah. It's like daytime TV. Days of our lives. So I want to kind of set that stage. We've been talking about David. And so now David is older. And he's now sitting on the back of a mule. So go to 2 Samuel 15, and he's on the back of a mule. He is riding out of town on the back of a mule. He's heading out of Jerusalem, and it's just kind of dawned on him, wow, everything that I dreamt, hoped for, that I've lived for, is not coming true. And he might be saying, God, what, 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 what happened here? I'm sitting on a donkey leaving the kingdom. How did we get here? How am I supposed to handle this? And as we read this passage this morning, I hope that you and I can learn from David so that as we face those challenges in life, that we can learn how do I respond when my dreams or my world is falling apart and I'm not happy and I don't know what to do or I'm afraid and I'm worried because you know what? I put a whole lot into this. I've served. I've sacrificed. I've given up everything. I've given up jobs. I've given up opportunities. I've gone here. I've gone there. I've been to this conference, that retreat, this, that. What do we do? Can you relate to that? I can. You know, when I was 27, 26, uh, well, actually, before that, in 1995, Sari and I were appointed evangelist and women's ministry leader in the New York City Church, and we led the Gold Coast. Gold Coast zone or sector. And honestly, I believe, oh, my gosh, God, you've put me here, and I understand why I'm here and this is what you want me to do for the rest of my life. I'm not buying a house because I want to be available. If you need me to go over there and do that, I'm, I'm ready. And I'm all in, man. And then in the end of 97, we were fired and let go. And I remember thinking, what just happened? What happened? 
God, pause, click. Could we pause for a minute? What just happened? And I remember just being in shock because this wasn't supposed to happen. We're supposed to do this and we're supposed to, you know, do that. And now I got to get a job. Bills are coming. Student loans, they don't quit because you don't got a job. And I remember going through this phase, this, I was angry, I was, I was, but it was like, Russ, that's not the end of your life. And I remember learning a very valuable lesson. The ministry was not God. Your identity isn't in a role. God is your God. And I remember having to learn that lesson because it was all about the, you know, back then you were something special in the ministry. It was all messed up. And I remember realizing I didn't become a Christian for that. I didn't make Jesus Lord for a position. I didn't. I just wanted to get my sins forgiven <laughs> and make a difference. And God birthed a new vision in my life. And I thank God for the preteens and the young teens. Those kids purified my heart. Because you were serving people that couldn't serve you back. You weren't getting much out of the relationship except giving and giving and giving some more. And it just Help me see something different. Oh, when Jesus says it's more blessed to give than to receive, oh, that's what that means. You aren't in it to get something, but it's all about being like him. And you know, what's so beautiful is some of these kids are now 30-some years old. And I just, I love just seeing them. And they're like, yeah, you remember? Oh, yeah, I remember. It's thank you. It's please. But my point is, we all have things that we've dreamt, we desire, and it didn't work out. And we're like David sitting on the back of that mule saying, what, what happened? So I want to kind of run through 11 chapters in, in about two minutes <laughs> because we didn't kind of get into some of this stuff. But before we get to 2 Samuel 15, a few chapters back, David blows it, he sleeps with Bathsheba, one of his best friend's wives, and he gets her pregnant. And the situation is a complete mess. And David suffers major consequences for his actions. 
After that situation, if you read the rest of his life, man, his family fell apart. And see, as the king, he was promised that one of his sons was going to sit on the throne. And so he has his firstborn son, Amnon. And, you know, it says that Amnon fell in love with his half-sister and wanted her deeply. Pretends to be sick, gets her alone, and he rapes his sister. Uh, you not, you got to read your Bible. You wouldn't be surprised by that. But Amnon, Tamar had a brother named Absalom, who was David's third son. Well, Amnon wasn't having it, but Amnon was real cool, calm, and collected, and he waited two years. He says, hey, brothers and sisters, come on over. We're going to have a party. Let's have a feast, and they all come over. And at the table, he kills his brother in front of everybody. I told you, days of our lives now. <laughs> Hopefully, teens, you'll read your Bible like, okay, I want to see, is he lying? <laughs> but here's the situation. In those situations, David does nothing. His daughter gets raped, does nothing. His son kills the third, the oldest son. He does nothing. And, and then we find that David is longing to connect with Absalom because he fled and went somewhere else and he's living out there. And so then he has him brought back and he's just loving his son because Absalom, Absalom was a little miniature David. He looked like David. I mean, there's a scripture in, in 2 Samuel 14. I want you to listen to this. In verse 25, imagine if you describe this way. In all Israel, there was not a man so highly praised for his handsome appearance of Absalom. From the top of his head to the sole of his feet, there was no blemish in him. What? That dude was good looking. He was smart. He was like David. In my world, he had it going on. So he's away. Joab brings him back, but he doesn't see David for four years. And so he's working things out. And underneath, though, Absalom is very angry with his father. How dare you let that happen to my sister? And, you know, he begins to create a plan. And part of his plan is he is going to not wait for his dad to die, to take the throne. He's going to take the throne by force. So let's read together here. Starting in verse 10. It says, as soon as you hear the sound of the trumpets, then say, Absalom is king of Hebron. 200 men from Jerusalem had accompanied Absalom. They had been invited as guests 
and went quite innocently, knowing nothing about the matter. Skip down to verse 13. A messenger came and told David, the hearts of the people are with Absalom. Then David said to all his officials, listen to this, with him in Jerusalem, come, we must flee or none of us will escape from Absalom. We must leave immediately or he will move quickly to overtake us and bring ruin on us and put the city to the sword. The king's officials answered, your servants are ready to do whatever our Lord the king chooses. The king set out with his entire household following him. So you got to get this picture. Absalom is coming. David's like, we got to go. Because in their mind, it's like, okay, if I fight my son, three things could happen. I might get killed. He might get killed. Or we both might get killed. And if we're both killed, then who's here to protect the city? And the nations will hear about it. They'll come in. They'll overrun the city. And we're done. So here David is on that mule. And he's thinking, wow. Lord, what, what happened? What, what happened? If I stay and fight my son, and again, think about this, not as soldier, but my son. The city's going to be destroyed. If I stay, Absalom, he's going to come. He's going to fight me. We're going to be destroyed. He's going to destroy the city. So verse 23, 2 Samuel 15, the Bible says the whole countryside wept aloud as all the people passed by. The king also passed, uh, also crossed the Kindred Valley and all the people moved on towards the wilderness. And so you got to imagine He's riding along. David's thinking and he's wondering, God, how did this happen? This wasn't supposed to be the plan. But David then says something that I hope that you grasp this, this morning. And he says something that, that you and I have to kind of embrace this because as we look at our disappointment, as we look at things maybe not going the way we wanted it to go or what we thought was going to happen, David says something that we need to hear and we need to understand about God and we need to understand about ourselves. You know, the fact is some of us are right here this morning. We can relate to David, right? We've had dreams about our families, maybe about our kids. And they're going to become disciples, and then they're going to do this, and then they're going to marry disciples, and they're going to, and we got this whole thing mapped out and worked out in our mind, and it's not going in that direction. You know, facing reality is so important because 
who knows what's going to actually happen? You know? You got some kind of inside stuff? (laughs) No, it's going to work out this way. No, it's going to work out that way. Well, then what happens when it doesn't? The hope. The, the, you know, the proverb says hope deferred makes the heart sick. It makes the heart sick. Why? Because we had our hopes up. And then they just get them crashed to the ground. Kind of like the jet fan. But we're not going to go there. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Dad. I'm sorry. All right. You know, after after the disappointment goes away, after the frustration and the shock subsides, we can fill up with, with anger. You know, if you're not a Christian this morning, And you're feeling that. You may be mad for a few reasons. You may be thinking, okay, this God that you talk about, does he really exist? Because if if he was such a good God, why would he let that happen? And I get you. I, I can understand that. But at least maybe you're looking in the right direction because you're realizing, wow, life is really tough. And, you know, if you're a Christian, you might be saying, how could you allow that? How can you allow this to go on? Couldn't you have stopped it? Couldn't you have prevented this? You know, some of us, we've been victimized. And someone else sinned has impacted our lives, and it's terrible. And yeah, well, God could have did, he could have did something. God knows how important that was to me. God knows how much I wanted that. And yet, he didn't allow it to happen. You know, sometimes we can then go in the path that we don't want to go. And some of us have actually done this. We've said, man, Bag this church thing, bag this God thing. I am going to do my own thing. And we go our way. And life kind of, that Mike Tyson. And that's part of why we're back today. Because we're like, I don't want to get knocked out again. But sometimes we can just throw out the baby with the bathwater because we're really just disappointed. And we haven't learned how to, how do I deal with this? So I don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. So I don't throw away my faith. See, our relationship with God, man, it's it's a dynamic thing. The thing I want to, Help us understand, you know, God doesn't change. But the thing is, we need to change. 
And we have to continue to put our trust in him. Because, see, when we do that, we're making the very best decision that we can make. We're believing that his way is the best way. His way is better than our way. And see, David was at that point in his life, and fortunate for, for, fortunately for him and for us, we get to learn from David. I want you to look down here, 2 Samuel 15. In verse 24. Okay. He says, Zadok was there too, and all the Levites were with him. I'm sorry. Who were with him were carrying the Ark of the Covenant. They set, the, they set down the Ark of the Covenant, and Abiathar offered sacrifices until all the people had finished leaving the city. So again, let's look at what David did. Now, this Ark of the Covenant, you guys remember that movie, Raiders of the Lost Ark, and they're carrying, you know, get that kind of in your mind a little bit, but that's kind of what's going on. And in the Old Testament, the Ark of the Covenant was like a sacred box, and that represented God's presence. You know, this scripture in 1 Chronicles 13, 14, the ark of God remained with the family of Obed-Edom in his house for three months. And the Lord blessed his house and everything in it. You had the box, you had it going on. There was beautiful things happening because, again, it represented the presence of God. It represented God with us. And so when, uh, in 2 Samuel, you know, chapter 4 through kind of 8, when you read about the Ark of the Covenant, it was like, why is this so important? Because that represented the presence of God. And so now, the household servants, they're pulling everything together. They got the box. They're going out of town. They're like, we'll leave our house. We'll leave our possessions. But that box is coming with us. We want to win. Whoever has the box is in good shape. Now look at what David says. Verse 26. I'm sorry, verse 25. Take the ark of God back into the city. If I find favor in the Lord's eyes, he will bring me back and let me see it and his dwelling place again. Verse 26. But if he says, I am not pleased with you, then I am ready. Let him do to me whatever seems good to him. Basically, David's saying something here. Here are my plans. Here are my dreams. Here are my goals. God, I'm offering them to you. 
I'm not going to try to take matters into my own hands. I'm not going to lean on my own understanding. I'm not going to take my life and the things that I want and do and manipulate and kind of get what I want. I am giving everything to you. Do to me whatever seems good to you. Send the box back. I'm putting all my trust in you. You see that? That's where David was at. Guess what? That's how you deal with the disappointments, the crushed dreams, or whatever this didn't go the way you thought it should go. But here's something more. David avoided three mistakes that I think we can make and not even realize it. Number one, he did not wrap his faith in God around the fulfillment of his dreams. You hear me, church? So God, if you don't do what I think you should do, I can't trust you. That's what we're in essence saying when it doesn't work out. So he avoided that mistake of wrapping his dreams around uh, wrapping his faith around his dreams coming true. Secondly, he didn't wrap his faith in God around his assumptions of when and how God would fulfill his promises. You know, some of us are, hey, I've been waiting a long time. When is this going to happen? You know, if we asked David back in the day, David, how do you think that you're going to have this lineage where your son sits on the throne? Well, you know, I got Amnon. He's my first son. I'm going to nurture him. I'm going to teach him. And then he's going to take the throne and, you know, it'll work out that way. Well, if God decides he doesn't want to use him, I got my third son, miniature David, Absalom, the good looking guy. Well, I'll nurture him, I'll raise him up, and he'll take the throne. Read your Bible. That is not what happened. You know, it is so easy for us to think we know how it's going to work out. You know, I got some news the other day. And first, I want to thank the church for praying for my cousin. Uh, his name is Dave Miller Jr., a.k.a. Deke. And uh, Tuesday, we're in a Bible study. I'm calling up my cousin. He tells me, hey, we're having dinner with Deke. He's getting ready to go to the hospital. I said, what? What do you mean he's going to the hospital? Oh, you didn't know. He's got prostate cancer. And it just, what? Deke and I graduated from college. Deke and I are the same age. How did he get prostate cancer? It was like, 
that's not supposed to happen in my mind. Russ, did you hear yourself? You're not God. You don't call the shots. You don't determine how something should go or what. It, and it, I had to catch myself. And I thought, wow, I didn't see that coming. You know, we, we have to remember who is in control. We got to remember who is the king and not wrap our faith around things working out the way we think that they should. The last thing and the mistake David avoided was he didn't take matters into his own hands. And he didn't force his will on the situation. He looked at the ark and he said, we're going to let God do what God does. And we're not going to try to control the outcome. Instead, we're going to put everything in his hand. Send the ark back. See, brothers and sisters, friends, if you're visiting, God is after a relationship with us. He really wants you and I to live believing he's in control. But more than that, he's got our best interest at heart. He really, really loves us. And he's going to allow things to happen in our lives so that we do not grab the sides of the boat, try to take control, try to manipulate, try to finagle and figure out how to get what we want instead of surrendering to what he wants. See, not my will, but your will be done. Husbands, not your will, but his will be done. Wives, not your will, but his will be done. You know, if as married couples, we learn to respect and love each other, you know what would happen? His will would be done. Children, obey your parents. <laughs> you know what? I'm with you, sister. <laughs> we got a fan in section three. <laughs> no, but seriously. God says you're going to live a long life. But there's a way that he wants things to go because he knows what's best. But then in the same breath, he says, I'm going to allow you to go through some things. Because I need you to learn to trust in me. And that you take that time each day to hear what I have to say by reading my word. By listening to my voice. And then you take that and you practice. 
And people wonder, why are you doing that? Why do you not do this? Why are you going here? Why are you sacrificing what? Because of my God. You're who? My rock. You're what? My deliverer. You mean Uber? <laughs> what are you talking about? DoorDash? No. My deliverer. You know, it's so encouraging to see the faithfulness in this room. To see the single sisters, the faithfulness in this room. Oh, something didn't happen yet. I'm not throwing my faith out. I'm holding on. You know, when you see someone lose their spouse, but not lose their faith, that's inspiring. When you see someone lose their children, but not lose their faith, that's encouraging. You see someone lose that job or lose the ability to do certain things, but then they don't lose their faith. That's what I'm talking about. Man, it's so great to be amongst examples in that way. See, David refused to try to take charge. And he says, if God chooses to return me to Jerusalem, so be it. But if he chooses not to return me to Jerusalem, so be it. I will trust him. I want to encourage us. Let's go that last. To remember Paul's words, he says, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I want to encourage us to remember what we heard today. Are you doing your thing your way? Are you? Leaning on your own understanding? Or are you doing it his way? Are you allowing God's will to be done? Next week, we're going to look at another part of David's life. And towards the end, it's amazing. It's amazing what he says and how he talks about God. We're going to talk about confidence in God, how David got confidence in God. But I encourage you all as we uh, end today and read the rest of the story in 2 Samuel 15 to the end, because God wants to do something amazing in each and every one of our lives. But we got to decide, not my will, your will be done. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for this time that we can come together. And Lord, we are so grateful for your word, for this just incredible example of David's life and somebody who was definitely not perfect, but you honored him. And I pray as we sing this last song that you will help us sing with all of our hearts. But God, I pray that you will help us 
take and internalize your word. Help it dwell in us and help us be people who are living not for ourselves, but for your will to be done. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.